Last week we entered uh, the book of Nehemiah and we were going to camp out in Nehemiah all summer. And we heard about the little bit of the journey that the people of Israel were on. That Nehemiah heard of this destruction still remaining a decade, more than a decade after people had returned to the city of Israel. The gates, the doors were were burned up and the walls were still lying in rubble. We heard how, how he responded to that situation not by a plan, but by weeping. Instead of creating plans, he, he mourned, he, he weeped, he fasted, and he prayed. Nehemiah confessed not only the communal failings of Israel, but also he, he identified with those failings that he and even his father's household participated in. He couldn't separate himself from the Israelite failings because he saw himself as an Israelite, as one who had, that had sinned against God. As he, he prayed, not only did he confess, but he, he worked to remind God of his faithfulness. That, that if his people repent and turn and follow him, that, that the Lord then would would gather his people in, even if they were at the far reaches of the land, he would, he would gather them in out of his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace and bring them to the place that he had chosen for them. That's all that happened in the first chapter. He heard of the, the destruction and he, and he prayed and he fasted and he mourned. Nothing other than those things. So let's head to chapter 2 and, and see, see what journey we will gather, uh, go on with the Israelites now. We're going to read verses 1-8. through eight. In the month of Nisan, in the 12th year, or 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been seen I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have 
a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And that's where we're going to end, though we will reference other passages from chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3 today. We start with this passage, the first verse in the month of Nisan. Anybody have an idea how many months have passed since Nehemiah heard of the destruction? We're welcoming guesses. No one wants to guess. I think it's one month, two months. Three months, four months, somewhere between four and, and five months have passed since, since he began lamenting, since he began praying, since he began fasting. His timeline doesn't necessarily bode well for our desire for things to happen quickly doesn't really bode well for our desire for instant gratification. The reason we have fast food restaurants, the reason that some of us want to go into the store to to buy something now rather than wait later, doesn't bode well for our things, for our desire for things to get resolved quickly. I had a really big desire that the tech booth was going to get resolved really, really, really quickly. As you can tell, it's been not one month, but we're into month number two. For four months, Nehemiah prayed to the Lord his God, praying in part, weeping, but praying in in the second part as, as waiting for the opportunity for for him to be able to present his request to the king. He had been praying and waiting, fasting and waiting. If you're like me, you you struggle with impatience like that, that tech booth that I so desire to want to be done. You, you probably, if you're like me, would have struggled to wait and pray for month after month after month, waiting for this opportunity, this, this time period to, to talk to the king, to, to give him your request, especially when you normally would see the king every single day. Nehemiah, the, the cup bearer to the king, he was this trusted advisor, so to speak, to the king. The king trusted Nehemiah with his very life. You see, the the cupbearer to the king had a very important job. The cupbearer of the king oversaw the king's entire wine collection. Now, I'm not just talking about that little fridge that you have at your house that probably holds like 18 or 12 bottles of wine. 
but vast rooms filled with wine. The cupbearer, it was, it was his job to be like a vintner, to, to choose the, the best possible wines for the king to drink. Wines that, would, that he thought would, would taste good for the king. And then he also had the privilege of drinking it to find out if it was poisoned. Nehemiah had the king's life in his hand. He was someone who was trusted with his very life. And even even though he 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 had his life in his hands, he waited for months to speak to the king about his request. Waiting for the king to bring it up to you. Ask him, why is your face so sad? We read that Nehemiah, he said his face had not been sad in the king's presence for all of those four or five months. I know that anytime we experience something sad and and debilitating, anytime we experience something of disappointment, Sometimes we, we try to pass it off for a certain amount of time that, that everything in our life is fine. That there's nothing else going on within us that is, is bothersome. That there's not this anger, this hurt, this frustration, this sorrow over whatever that event happens to be. But if you know people for long enough, You only can hold those emotions and that sadness in your life for so long before it starts showing on the outside to other people. And the people that you know best, the people that know you best will will be able to figure out what is the mannerisms that you're giving off that are showing sadness? What is the the raise in the eyebrow or the, the... the smirk or whatever it happens to be, those mannerisms that are a part of our life that show that something deeper is going on. And and the king knew Nehemiah in that way. Though Nehemiah had not been sad in his presence, the, the king knew that something was wrong. The king knew that something was going on with Nehemiah to, to make him live, uh, that this lingering sadness of life was, was not just going to magically go away. And as the king asks Nehemiah why he's sad, he chooses this opportunity five, four or five months later, sharing his, his lament over his ancestor's city. He shares this lament over a city in a way that would have connected with the king. You see, family burial places were worthy of honor. Family burial places were, were places that were to be kept neat and, and tidy and in good order and, and in that the bricks wouldn't be falling down. It was, it was supposed to be a place of honor in a place of of delight. And yet for Nehemiah, that that was not the case because the place where his fathers were were buried were in ruin. How could I not be sad 
when the homeland and the place where my father and ancestors are buried lie in ruins with its gates burned with fire and with their walls toppled over. He says, since, since the land of my ancestors are, are ruined, it, was, it would be right for me to go and to, to fix this problem. The king responds having heard this situation. And, and, and I think having compassion, he and, and the queen at the same time, he says, what is it you want? And then we read these, these words. Nehemiah prayed for four to five months for this opportunity. Likely, he, he prayed at, at great length. He prayed reminding God of His faithfulness time after time after time. He, he prayed reminding God that the people of Israel and He Himself are, are repenting of what they've done and praying for this opportunity day after day after day. And, and he gets this opportunity and it is so like Nehemiah to pray again. But this, this prayer is not that long half-hour prayer. It's, it's not even likely a ten-minute prayer or a, a five-minute prayer. This prayer before he speaks would be quite awkward if someone asked me a question and I said, all right, let me pray a minute. And I made that person wait for the answer until I prayed for a half hour. Now, this, this prayer is, is more like uh, a quick like slingshot type prayer. A quick one word, one sentence prayer in your mind that something would get done, that something would happen. Like when you're in your car and then all you sudden see those lights and you say that prayer, Lord, I hope it wasn't me. Anybody have that? Nobody? Or that quick prayer as you're entering a meeting that you didn't quite expect to be in, that you maybe weren't prepared for, where you say, Lord, help me. Those opportunities where you're, you're talking with a friend and they bring up something that is hurting them, something that's in, that is causing them discomfort and you have no idea how to respond and you say, Lord, help me. These, these quick opportunities where the Lord invites us in to say a quick prayer. Quick prayers are, are not all that bad. They don't ostracize someone when they say, let's pray real quick because the Lord receives those as well, and opportunities for him to reach into a situation where he is being invited into by way of our prayer to him. These quick prayers of Nehemiah are those opportunities for us to pray without ceasing. Inviting God into all the different spaces of our life here, Nehemiah inviting God into his response. Inviting him into this area where he's going to ask some big things of the king. The king trusts Nehemiah and, and really probably doesn't want Nehemiah to go. He trusts him with his very life. Who else is he going to have take care of 
the, the vineyards and the wines. Who else is he going to trust with his life to, to take care of, of that cup, making sure his life will still be one that is alive, full of livelihood? And so Nehemiah goes on to ask, I would like to go, and, and for how long, they ask. And then he continues, well, let me have letters to these governors that I'm going to pass through their area so that they know that I'm sent with your blessing. And on top of these letters, King, would you please give me all the wood that I need from the, the royal uh, forestry area so that I can have wood to finish the gates and finish the wall and well I need a place to live so can can I have wood to build myself a house Nehemiah prayed for for those things he was about to ask of the king and the king granted all of his requests all of the the needs would be provided it wouldn't be Nehemiah's pocketbook or the Israelite backs needing to, to find and gather all the wood necessary for what needed to be done. It would all be provided by this gracious king that allowed Nehemiah to, to go back and rebuild his homeland. And, and what we would find if, if we, we read the rest of that chapter and and, and what we would read if, if we found, uh, we read chapter 3, all of it, we would, we would find that all of these materials made their way as well as Nehemiah to the city of Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah works to encourage and gather the, the needed amount of, of physical labor the people gathering them all together that they would begin to rebuild these walls, that they would begin to put together once again these doors and their hinges. But what we'd also find is not only would that work be getting done, but we would meet a guy named Sanballat and a guy named Tobiah. And a guy named Geshem. Individuals that try to impede the work that Nehemiah has in front of him. Individuals that try to, to impede the work that the people living in Judah are trying to get done. They ridicule they say that they're a, a rebellion, so it's actually pretty good that Nehemiah asks for letters saying that this project was something that the king desired. Though the, the building does not stop, neither does the opposition. The opposition to the people uh, living in Judah continues on by way of these three people. Trying to get them to stop what they're doing. Trying to get them in the way of what God has told Nehemiah to do. A 
constant battle amidst the building and renewal that is desired is the opposition which somehow manages to find its way there. It's kind of nice to know that when when we experience opposition from what we feel like the Lord is telling us to do, that we aren't the first people to ever experience that. It's, it's nice to know that, that as God continued to work through these Israelite people in Judah in Jerusalem, that He will continue to work through each and every one of us no matter how much opposition, no, ever, no matter how much people try to get in our way. It's, it's God's kingdom that will continue to be built no matter what. And we see this beautiful picture in chapter 3. A week ago, uh, Steve Bootsma, who prayed up here this morning, he said, is, is this the passage with all the names in it? Did you practice that? And notice we're not reading it. Uh, even I too struggle with names sometimes, but if we did read chapter 3, what you would find, you might say is, well, it's, Pastor Steve, yeah, it's just a list of names. Just a, a list of, of people. But what you would find is, is men and women and, and fathers and daughters and merchants and goldsmiths and priests. All these people working together. Fathers and their daughters building the new walls. Fathers and, and daughters building those gates together. The priests working with the goldsmiths. The merchants working with the women. Everyone working together amidst this op uh, opposition that they would see to it that what the Lord had told them to do would get done. Not just a list of names. Not just a, a list of people to be disregarded. Sometimes, sometimes we think that when we get to the list of names. You know, well, that's kind of a boring part of Scripture. But it wouldn't be boring if you were related to them, would you? What would it look like for you looking back, say, 50 years from this time, seeing your ancestors' names, being a part of rebuilding and renewing the gates. To, to know that it was, it was your ancestors that put up the Stephen Gate or the Dung Gate or whatever gate it happens to be. You can look back and see the, the Lord's faithfulness in your family's life by looking at just, just a, a list of names. list of names of merchants and priests, of men and women, of daughters. But I don't want something else to go unnoticed in, in this, this journey that we're on with the people of Israel. We had talked about Nehemiah being cupbearer to the king. We talked about how it was an important position. It was really a high up position. 
the king, trusting him with his life. And here we see Nehemiah, this person of privilege, this person of power, this person that has the, the ear of, of the king. What does he do? He, he takes the opportunity to go and, and step down. He steps down from that position of power. He steps down from that area where, where he it really didn't bother him. When, when he was up here, he knew that the gates were, were burned down. He, he knew that the walls were rubble, and, and yet he's compared to the king. It doesn't really matter to him other than that being his homeland. It doesn't affect him on a, a daily basis. He doesn't wake up every morning, look out, and see that the, the, the charred wood, he doesn't look out and he, he doesn't see any, any burned down or torn down walls. He, he, doesn't, he isn't affected by any of it. And, and yet, though he's not affected by any of it, he steps down from his position to, to go back to his homeland, to procure and gather everything that was necessary so that the people of God would, would live in a way where they would experience God's shalom. He would step down from that high position so that the people of God would be able to live fruitful and safe lives, knowing that if he stayed where he was, they would not be safe. They would not be secure. I don't want that to go unnoticed because it's, it's a parallel to someone that we know. We read the book of Nehemiah knowing the, the New Testament, knowing what is to come, and, and knowing of the other individual that stepped down from that place of authority. N knowing the individual that stepped down from that place, knowing that he too likely was not dealing with those issues that we dealt with on a daily basis. Knowing that Jesus was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb. Knowing that He didn't have to step down from His place on the throne to come down, but that He desired to. That He would leave His place of authority and come to earth as a baby. We celebrate that every December, recognizing this big movement that He made to secure something for us as well. That we too could experience the shalom of God. That we too would experience the fruitfulness of life. That we too ex would experience safety and security resting in the palm of God's hand, not worrying about an oncoming judgment because we are safe in the person of Christ. Christ bringing you and I safety and security. Christ bringing you and I a righteousness that we could not earn on our own. Christ doing all of that for a stepping down. Just as Nehemiah did in the foreshadowing of what was to come. 
I wonder if there's ever going to be a list of names that has our name in it. I, I look through every now and then uh, some of the historical documents, you could say, that have been curated for the years that Princeton has been in existence. And you, you hear various names of individuals that were here and maybe small stories about what was done. You, you see the different names of individuals who were missionaries that were sent out. You, you read different names you could open one of those picture books and look through and, and see all the faces. I wonder if there's ever going to be a, a list of names for us. Would, would someone, as they looked at that list of names, well, you know, that's, that's just a list of names. I don't think we need that anymore. Why don't we recycle it? That's just a list of names of people. I have no idea who they are. This, this paper doesn't matter anymore. Just throw it away. Or, or would, would they see that list of names as something different? Would, would they see that list of names as, you know what? I remember that guy, Dick Vandermark. You know what? I, I remember that lady, Trudy Kaminga, that, that, that passed away several years ago. Or I remember uh, that girl, Lily Settergren. I remember those individuals, and I, and I remember how they lived. I remember how uh, when they lived, they weren't working as, as someone building their own kingdom. As, as they were working not for their own kingdom, not by their own means, not by their own power, not by their own might, that they were, were living in a way that was not to make their name great, but instead was like those names that we would find in chapter 3. Those names of individuals that were on a mission to see the kingdom of God as it was seen through Jerusalem at that point in time, restored and fixed. Would our names be included in with those people that are, are pushing our self-centered nature to the side and, and taking on the, the mindset of Christ by having God work in us, by having the Spirit work through us as we build not our own kingdom, but as we see the kingdom of God being built up here each and every day. As we work together, living for God. And because we're living for God, we're going we're gonna to love our neighbors because we loved first where we love because God loved first? Are, are we going to be those people who are living for God and, and loving our neighbors? Are, are we going to be those people who take time to pray day in and day out to share a message, a word from the Lord, the, the Gospel with our friends, coworkers, neighbors that we know? that we're willing to pray months at a time, four months, five months, years, 
until we're given that opportunity like Nehemiah to, to come with a request and, and to come with some knowledge about who Christ is that they too may experience the love of God just as we have. That they too would, would maybe have their name written in that book of those who, who trust in Jesus as their Savior. Of those who have devoted all of their life not for their own name, but for the name of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You that from before the foundation of the world, You wrote names in a book. Names in a book that, that they're just not names, but they are individuals and people who have lived and will live and are living today that will be following Your will and Your way, trusting in You and making Your name great by partnering with Your Spirit to build Your kingdom. Our prayer is that Your kingdom becomes a reality each and every day. That Your kingdom becomes more of a reality as we continually move towards You that heaven comes down here to earth, that Your will is done here on earth. Your will and Your desire for shalom, of justice, of mercy, of grace, and of peace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.